So I'll just tell you a little bit about what we'll do this evening. We're going to start with some honoring and grounding, which I'll, I'll lead that part. And then I'll pass over to Nico, who will guide the more formal part of the meditation for you. And then we'll sit for about a half an hour with a guided meditation. And then I'll begin our talk at just about uh, 45 minutes past the hour. And uh, we'll share this talk. I'll say some, Nico will say some, and hopefully we'll leave some time at the end for discussion and questions and responses. So that's our plan. And just to tell you that here we are, Paul uh, mentioned that Nico did his PhD in Madison and we're here again in Madison. So it's two hours later from where you are. I think most of you probably are in California, although maybe not, I see someone's in Arizona. Um, maybe other places. And so, um, yeah, we'll just begin in this very simple, gentle way by feeling the place, the patch of earth, the ground that you're sitting on. And I see maybe someone's in a car and maybe you're outside, maybe you're inside, you might be at home, you might not be at home but just feeling this place on the earth where your body is landing right now. And as we ground into the earth, it feels very important to honor the history of this particular patch of land. So here we are in Madison. This is unceded Ho-Chunk territory. And in fact, in this neighborhood where we are, there's a lot of indigenous artifacts. It was a sacred gathering place for the tribes of this region. And so maybe if you're in San Francisco, you're on Ohlone land, maybe some of the other neighborhoods around in the Bay Area. And just taking a moment to really honor the history here the many, many people who have stewarded these lands, who have cared for them before we came. And perhaps with a humble and gentle honoring acknowledgement, we might ask if those unseen beings would like to come and join our practice. A sense of collective practice of gathering often the beginning of formal meditation. I have this sense of circling, like gathering in around the fire, perhaps now around the computer on Zoom all over the world. And have this sense of gathering in those who are seen, those who are unseen. And so then second honoring, perhaps now taking a moment to honor your teachers. And we might bow internally to Eugene and Pam and so many of the SFI teachers, folks who have supported this community, who have stewarded these practices. Other teachers in our lineage invoking Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg. Jack Cornfield, Dara Williams, 
Perhaps you have other teachers that you want to name silently for yourself. Ajahn Cha, Ajahn Man, Saira Utijinia, Deepa Ma. And again, humbly and gently asking them to join us here, asking for their support, their accompaniment in our practice, the Sangha gathering here. And as we honor our teachers, we might also spend a moment just inwardly bowing to all of the Asian lineages, Sri Lanka, India, Burma, Thailand, and even in Japan and China, Tibet, Korea, all of these Dharma ancestors who have protected these practices and brought them to us. Made it possible for us to practice here together. And then lastly, this third honoring of family ancestors. And of course, our families are complicated. The stories we know, the stories we don't know. But if there are ancestors that feel supportive and honoring for you, we might invoke them here. And if bloodline, family of origin feels too complicated, you might invoke the family of the heart. All those who support your practice, who have made it possible for you to be here practicing. And again, this sense of gathering, of accompaniment, knowing that we don't ever practice alone. And that we're always in this deep sense of belonging to each other. And so being seen and beings unseen, may we continue to practice here together with a sense of support and collective liberation. And then lastly, just as we begin setting our intentions, you might just tune into perhaps a person in your life that needs your care or a certain cause or just an inner intention for altruism, for practicing not just for ourselves, but for others in our lives. Noticing what happens in the body and the heart when we align ourselves with this altruistic motivation to practice together. Okay, so please continue practicing and I'll turn it over now to Nico for some guiding words. Thank you. And so we'll meditate together here. 
the formal meditation for the about half an hour. So if you're not already, you might settle in to a posture that will feel easeful, supportive for you. If your eyes are not closed already, you might close your eyes or just gently soften your gaze. I find it supportive to take a couple of deeper breaths. You might breathe deeply, feeling the breath as it moves into your body, feeling the breath as it moves out. And once you've taken those deeper breaths, you could just allow your breath to find a natural rhythm. A rhythm that's natural to your body this evening, this moment. Not making any demands on your breath, just letting it be exactly as it is. And letting your body be just like this. just as it is, as we bring a warm awareness, a kind attention to the feet. Allowing awareness to begin to gather in your feet a lot of curiosity, kind of a freshness. What do the feet feel like? Not an image of the feet, but the feet themselves or the sensations that we call feet. What is it like now? Maybe sensing warmth or coolness. Receiving sensations of whatever the feet, the skin of the feet is touching. Could be carpet, wood floor, socks, couch. What's it like in the feet in this moment? And now allowing that warm awareness, that kind attention to receive the sensations in the ankles, in the calves, and the shins. Again, you might experiment with releasing 
your idea of shins, calves. What's left? What does it actually feel like when you touch into this realm of sensation in the lower legs? You might notice pleasant. You might notice unpleasant. There could be a kind of a neutrality. Neutrality, as we practice, becomes the most fascinating of the Vedanas, the feeling tones. Neutrality opens up into worlds of experience. as we move into the knees and the backs of the knees, touching the live wire of the body, how is it now? How is it as you receive the sensations in the thighs, the tops of the thighs, the bottoms of the thighs, knowing perhaps the sense of warmth, gravity in parts of the thighs that are touching a cushion or a couch, chair. Knowing comfort, discomfort, liking, not liking. deepening into these living sensations of the thighs. Now, bring this warm awareness into buttocks, hips, pelvis. 
What's here? What's here now? And you might take a moment to recognize it's changing. What's here now is shifting. It's dynamic. It's changing moment and then moment and then moment. And really there's never a moment when sensations stand still. What's that like? To touch into the anicca quality, the changing, shifting quality of the body, the hips, pelvis. Feeling, can you feel that? Can you touch change? Touch the moving body, the breathing body. You could feel the belly. The belly rises, the belly falls. As the breath moves into the body, it moves out. Feeling the belly, feeling the lower back. Sensing how is it now? And now. How is it now on the screen? You see the sensations of the heart in front of the chest, the back. Perhaps taking a moment to touch the heart with awareness and know how is it here? What emotions are alive this evening, this moment? Sometimes it's helpful to name one or two feelings, sad or joyful, content, scared. Giving room, giving voice 
to what's presencing here in the heart, that which can be named, that which cannot. You could say the process of meditation is just making friends, body, making friends with the heart, the mind, with the world. Knowing the heart as it is. Making friends, too, with the throat, back of the neck, receiving the sensations, noticing any extra tension that might be ready to release, no demands, anything that wants to relax or release, you could just let go. Whatever tensions are not ready to release, simply welcome and hold an awareness. Releasing and relaxing whatever is ready in the shoulders. Whatever needs to let it go, wants to let go. Relaxing the shoulders. Allowing the sense of softening into the upper arms. Softening into the elbows. Becoming soft, becoming gentle in the forearms, the hands. Relaxing into whatever's here. Ease, tension. Just the truth of this. The truth of what's here now. Take an extra moment in the hands, really feeling the exquisite sensitivity all of the beautiful sensation, beautiful, pleasant, beautiful, unpleasant, neutral, 
all the information that flows in the hands, through the hands, receiving from the hands. Take a moment to really rest here. Check it out. How is it to be alive in the hands? Now back up again into the throat, the back of the neck, and now receiving the sensations in the back of the head, the top of the head, and maybe the forehead. Could you love your forehead? Temples your eyes, your jaw. Could you bring a sense of, war of warmth into your nose, your teeth, tongue? And welcoming the fullness of this face, this whole head. And then welcoming the fullness of the whole upper body. And receiving the body as a whole from the tips of your toes to the crown of your head. Resting in this fullness of sensation that we call a body. We'll spend about 10 minutes in silence here. Give you an opportunity to play. If it's supported for you, you might move through the body again from your feet to your head. That would be one possibility. A second possibility would be just feeling the fullness of the whole body, resting, resting in the wholeness of body. Third possibility would be to follow your intuition. Just meditate in any way that's most supportive for you. So we'll spend some minutes in silence.
And if you've been lost, you might notice where you've been and then arrive here again. Whenever I've been lost in meditation and I find myself back, it's like waking from a dream. And so I do a little celebration. Like no matter how long I was gone, here it. I'm here, present, awake. This is a moment to appreciate. A moment to appreciate this living body. Could appreciate this heart and all of its subtlety, complexity. Appreciate the mind, an imaginative quality. You might take just a moment to express some gratitude just to yourself, to this body, this heart, and this mind. Despite everything, it's it's really an opportunity, this being alive. So you might take a couple of deeper breaths. You could open your eyes, look around, really see. See color, shape. Look around as if you've never seen this space, this place, before these edges, these objects. And you could stretch, you could move, whatever way feels good for your body. All right. So just to leap into some of these thoughts and ideas we wanted to share with you about the path as relationship, relationship as the Dharma path. And I know many of you have been practicing for a long time. And for me, as I continue, and especially most recently, this frame of the entirety of the practice being about how am I relating how am I relating to my body, this beautiful body scan that Nico just led? How am I relating to my heart, my mind? What's that relational field like? How does it feel? Does it feel like frictive? There's friction. There's a kind of argument going on inside. Judgment, shame, blame, hiding, delusion, greed. How am I relating to those around me? And just that question is such a helpful barometer, I find. Because sometimes if I wake up too early, I haven't slept well, I can go out into the world and everyone is sort of an obstacle. Have you noticed that? When you're driving, you're just moving along. Waiting in line is so just so cumbersome. 
Or the other way around, when we orient towards this warm awareness that Nico was talking about, this kind attention, an open receptivity, how are we in the body? How are we in our communities? And then finally, how are we in the world? This is such a big question, isn't it, in this world we're in? the world that is multi-layered, postmodern, so complex, often feeling divided, a world that is burning, a world that is flooding. How do we relate to this time of multi-crisis, poly-crisis? And I think what we'd like to argue this evening or offer is that the Buddha gave pretty good instructions to us about how to relate to ourselves, to others, to the world in equally confusing and complex times that he lived in. So how do we use our practice to create this kind of skillful relationship? Often in the beginning of practice, we're invited to take refuge. And in this kind of gathering of beings that we did, these three honorings, this is a kind of relationship, a kind of honoring our interdependence, a placing our heart in a community that feels safe and protective. And this kind of safety allows for a moment-by-moment responsiveness. Did you feel that in your practice? Can you feel it now as you're continuing to be mindful? There's a kind of moment-by-moment responsiveness that is very spontaneous, is very fresh. It's the natural capacity of the heart. And this responsiveness is relation. It's relationship. It's attunement, it's resonance. And so in order to be awake and aware and ready for this spontaneous response, we need to cultivate attention. This phrase, one of my favorites in the Pali Canon, Yoniso Manasikara. And this might be familiar to you. Yoniso is like the origin or the womb, the beginning the birthplace, and then Manasikara is attention. So where does attention begin? It's often translated as wise attention, Yoniso Manasikara, attention to the origin. I love this. Often our, our practice feels like we're orienting towards that moment before something happens. And from this womb, this place that's often dark and unknown and maybe even disorienting, this present moment where we don't quite have all the answers, we don't quite know what skillful response or skillful relationship looks like. From there, everything else can come into being. We can trust the natural responsiveness of our hearts and minds that are so creative and so unexpected and often surprising and delightful in the face of such confusion and such conflict. Mary Oliver, our beloved poet friend, she says that this kind of wise attention is the beginning of devotion. 
And so I know some of us are devotional types and some of us aren't necessarily devotional types. But if that's inspiring to you, how is it to feel devotion for your practice, for your presence, for your relationship in all the ways? This kind of bowing to, this kind of love, really. Can we see our path as, as cultivating a wise, attentive love? that allows, that responds, that's so creative and inspiring and surprising, unfabricated and uncultivated actually, and non-conceptual because it's coming from that womb, that origin point of wise attention. Then our relationships become exciting. And I can say for myself, this is so much of a training, isn't it? Because as we move through our days, aren't we often rushing from place to place? We're so focused on the next thing and the next thing and where we have to be and where's the Zoom link and did I get all my emails taken care of? But when we can remember to drop back into this wise attention, this origin point of awareness, what happens? You might just do that right now. For me, it's often dropping down from here into the belly. Belly is a good origin point. What happens? Our relationship changes. Our relationship to ourselves changes. The way that we're orienting to the world completely changes. You might try it. How are you emailing if you're in your belly? It might be a little slower. I know it is for me, often if I'm in my belly, in my inbox, I'll wait to respond to things. There's less urgency. And that allows room for more skillful responsiveness. So this is the, the magic of mindfulness. Not only do we become more aware of the bird song. And maybe you can hear there's crickets here in Madison and the lightning bugs are out. I'm sitting here in a screened in porch. The crickets are really loud for me. I don't know if they are for you. But we start to see and hear the unexpected. And we're relating in a wider way, a more receptive way. And we can respond more skillfully. So not only that, but the magic of this kind of attention that we're talking about, it grows wholesome qualities naturally. Naturally, when we're present like this in the body, living from the belly, generosity comes and compassion and patience and sila, kindness, truthfulness, resolve, discipline. These paramis, all these wholesome, beautiful qualities of heart and mind, they're here in us and the attention is just like sunlight and rain. It just allows them to grow just like plants do. We're not like making the plants grow. They just do. And so this is like the magic mushroom. <laughs> Maybe that's not the apt metaphor, but attention is like the magic ingredient <laughs> that brings all these qualities to life. And we see it, you know, those of you who have been practicing for years, if you look at your mind and how it was even five years ago or 10 years ago, is there more patience? Is there more kindness? Is there more ability to pause and take in the moment? Trust in yourself. Maybe there's more faith. 
And so this kind of mindfulness, this tending to, wise attention, attending, tenderness, care, this is all growing these qualities on their own and we can trust it. We really can trust the goodness of these hearts and minds. Of course, we have to put in our effort. It doesn't happen all just on its own. We have to bring our resolve and our discipline to our practice. But that's enough. I think often in our relationships, we try and we push and we control and we contrive. And this wise attention, perhaps, maybe, what is it like if that is enough? And we can trust the responsiveness to then lead us in spontaneous and unexpected ways. So in tending to the moment, we attend to ourselves, to other beings, and to the world. So those are some ideas, just seeds planted, and I'm going to hold it, hand it over to Nico to tell you a story now. Story time. Hmm. So Devin and I, we just did a long period of retreat, and for four years, in fact, we were in either cloistered retreat or semi-retreat, basically all the time. We had planned this for years and years, and finally it came to fruition. And We spent many, many, many hours sitting meditation, walking meditation, deepening into the practices under some really beautiful guidance from our teachers, and then it ended. It was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful time. There was some part of us that just never wanted it to end. No matter, you know, retreat can be very challenging, but it's so meaningful. And then it ended, it ended actually on June 23rd. And the first thing we did was come down to the temple in town that had been supporting us and gave a day-long teaching. And from there, we moved into our van. And we've been living in our van for the last, you know, a little more than a month visiting, reconnecting with all of these friends that we haven't seen since before COVID. And so one of our first stops, we drove from Oregon, where we had been for the past four years. We drove to Durango, Colorado, where my best friend from the monastery, we lived in the monastery for years back in our 20s. And we hadn't, we talked on the phone during this time. There were a few people that I kept in touch with, and he was one of them, but we hadn't seen each other since before COVID. And Devin and I are close with him, with his wife, but we hadn't met their one-year-old. And so we made this big plan to come into town on Friday so that we, you know, they're working people. So we, you know, come into town on Friday so that we could be with them for the weekend. And then we would leave on Tuesday and go to our our next people and our next people. We're on pilgrimage, really, relational pilgrimage right now, and geographical pilgrimage. A lot of reconnecting with the places that we've been in the past. Then we realized we actually had to be in Madison one day sooner because uh, we were teaching, and we moved everything back a day, which meant we had one less day in Durango, which is okay. 
you know, so we'd be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, have to leave Monday morning. No problem, except I was juggling all these details and making all these plans. And Devin and I were talking to all these different people about this cross-country trip. I forgot to tell my beloved friend that we were going to be leaving a day early. So we got there on Friday night after driving straight from Oregon for two days. We arrived in the evening, immediately told them, oh, we forgot to tell you, we're not going to be here. And they took it in stride and we had a great weekend until the morning that we were leaving. When a few things went wrong, we got very over busy and the goodbye was not at all satisfying. And then the situation lit off like a can of dynamite. And the, our goodbye was our beloved friends telling us that we had deeply hurt their feelings, that they were really disappointed and they were actually, if you wanted to know, pissed. So, dharma as relationship, relational dharma. You might ask yourself as I'm, I'm telling this story, what do you do? You know, what do I do in the midst of these very quotidian, these very everyday struggles with our friends, our partners, our families, our children, maybe our parents, cousins, whoever it is, workplace, good Lord. What do we do when the tension heats up? And for me, the refuge is exactly what Devin was just beginning to describe. The refuge is this wise attention in that moment, right? The refuge is that wise attention, the attending, the tending to, the tenderness. And in honoring Eugene Cash, who of course is completely in love with language, we did look up the root of the word attention, which comes from this Proto-Indo-European root ten, meaning to stretch with derivatives meaning something stretched, a string, thin. So this 10 actually forms part of, um, it's related to singing. It's related to chanting. It's related to the word temple, a building of worship, or to incline, to move in a certain direction as in tendency, as in tender, soft, easily injured, also to offer formally, to tender. Also tendril, also tenet. You know, you have a, a tenet. A tenet is an idea that you hold. You hold a tenet as long as it is useful, and then you put it down. This is, the, I think, the essence of the way Buddhism holds truths, tenets. It's also tent, a portable shelter, 
a shelter, a refuge. This is all built into this word, attention. It's also built into the word tendril in Tibetan. Tendril is a really important concept in Tibetan Buddhism and in Vajrayana and Tantra. Ten means to depend and drill means connection. And what it's pointing to is this interrelatedness, this interbeingness, dependent origination. Colloquial use in the Tibetan is the tendril between student and teacher, the relationship, that kind of energetic bond that two people form with each other. Tendril, tenderness, attention. We have a, one of our main teachers, Lama Drupchu, who's a, Anthony Chapman. He's a Westerner, studied with the great Kala Rinpoche in the 1970s and 80s. He was one of the first to do three-year retreat. Uh, one of the first people in the West to do three-year retreat. And he told us that when Kala Rinpoche first came to Canada, you know, Lama Drupchu, he's Canadian, they were all sitting in a circle all of these young hippies and this old yogi in robes are all sitting in a circle. And you've got like Ken McLeod there and Sarah Harding there and, you know, um, Lama Drupju there and all these other, all these other people that became significant, significant voices in the Vajrayana in the West. They're all sitting in this circle. And Kala Rinpoche is cutting up this apple while he's giving a talk. He's got this knife. He's cutting up this apple into slices. And then one by one, and without warning, he, he'd throw a slice of the apple and it would hit a student in the chest and they'd catch it. And you start giving the talk again, cutting the apple, cut off another piece of the apple, another slice, throw it, boom, right in the chest and catch it. And he went around, he did this to every person in the circle. Years later, Lama Jupiter realized what was that? That was tendril. That was a physical expression. Tendril, establishing connection physically, energetically. And so this is what attention is. It's this establishing of connection through attending to, being with, beingness. So our friends were mad. They were really upset. I mean, surprisingly upset. They were not used to anyone but Devin being that upset with me. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was this moment, first of really deep surprise. You know, these two people that I really love are just, they're, expressing themselves fully. And I had this moment of shock. And then, you know, the training kind of just kicks in. So sometimes it doesn't, but very often the training just kicks in and there's this rooting, attending. And the first thing, of course, that we want to attend to is the body. And so I dropped into my belly, feeling the sense of churning, feeling this kind of electricity in the space between us, feeling the possibility of defensiveness, feeling the possibility of shooting back, sensing into 
all of the different directions that this could go. All, you know, also sensing the very real and maybe frightening instability that is inherent to every relationship. It's all built on these threads, ten, tendril, these threads of attention that we offer each other. And if they fray, no one knows. No one knows what will happen next. So we had to go. We had to get on the road. And my friend had to go into a work meeting. And they had to put their daughter down for a nap. And so it was left relatively unresolved. We ran out of time. We walked out of the house. We drove to our next appointment. And in the car, that was when the defensiveness came up for Devin and for me. Like, wait a minute. We just poured love into you for days. You know, we put you first on the map. We visited you first. Of course we care about you. Of course we're investing in you. What is this, right? And so instead of just going really into all of that, we did rain, recognize what's happening here. Allow the fullness of the emotional expression to move through, investigate, and then don't identify, non-identification. We did that together. We did partner rain. And what we found almost immediately was this deep sense of care. We really value. This is kind of scary, actually. This is disturbing. And we really value this relationship. We really value these people. And so we were able to touch what was going on for ourselves and take responsibility for their two mistakes that was made. I, I made a big mistake. Devin made a small mistake and they added up to this difficulty. And so we were able to really feel, oh, this is what happened. This is what how we contributed. And so while we were driving, we left these voice memos. I left one apologizing. Devin left one apologizing. But there was also a kind of energetic boundary. We'll take responsibility for this piece. We didn't say this, of course, but we'll take responsibility for this piece. And the rest is yours. I hope, you know, there's this, this kind of like, we didn't go out of our integrity. We didn't fall over ourselves in order to take care of them. Just apologize. Oh, yes, this is what happened. We did this part and we're sorry. It took a week, actually for them to make an appointment with us. And once they came back on, they were calm and we apologized for our part. And they thankfully took responsibility mostly for their part. And I think the friendship is stronger than ever. Now, what does this all have to do with awakening? I don't know if you experience this, but often I find that there's a kind of divide in the Buddhist tradition. There's like what we do on the cushion, and then there's what we do in our lives. And very, very often, certainly in, in some of the more retreat-based teachings that we receive, the cushion is very much valued. We can get wrapped up 
and sitting. I mean, of course, sitting is good. Sitting is wonderful. It's great to sit, cushion, chair, bench. It's good to lie down. Good to do walking meditation. But we can get very invested in that, very wrapped up in that. We can also get very invested or wrapped up in retreat, thinking that retreat is the real practice, which, of course, retreat is wonderful. Definitely, I love retreat. And we can also get wrapped up in thinking that big awakenings are the practice, you know, like people on podcasts like to talk about these enormous experiences they've had and how they were life-changing. And that's true. That happens to people. People do have very big awakenings and they are transformative. But after every sit, after every retreat, after every giant transformative awakening or no giant transformative awakening, the raw facts of your life are waiting for you. We come home. We come home to ourselves. We come home to our family, to our relationships, to our work. No matter how deep that insight has been, we still have to integrate that into every single moment of our day. Yes, there can be big releases, but it's the little releases, the momentary releases in the middle of our friendships and our partnerships, our parenting, our work days, those those little moments adding up one by one by one actually are what create the conditions for real sustained liberation. Uh, that's as much time as I'm allowed. So I'm, I'm going to pass it right back to Devin. Thank you. Nico is famous for his long and engrossing stories. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you, Nico. I'm just really going to summarize and wrap up. And, you know, speaking of tendrils, connections, there's so many more things that we could say about this. We could talk about in the Satipatthana, the practice of internal and external mindfulness. And external, I think, is often not described or taught enough. How are we tending to the mind states of others? All of this comes back to Yoniso Manasikara, this wise attention, this original attention, the moment before something happens. How can we be so awake and aware for that, that it leaves room for the display of all of the other skillful qualities to come? And the magic of mindfulness is that when we tend to the good parts, the beautiful qualities of the heart, they grow. And equally, as we keep growing our attention, our mindfulness, the hindrances diminish. All of the other things that get in the way of skillful relationship diminish with our mindfulness. And as Nico talked about, relationships can be difficult. There's rockiness, there's tension, there's disagreement, there's miscommunication, oversight, also just friends who are new parents who are completely destroyed and exhausted all the time. So this dance of mindfulness, how do we pay this kind of deep, meticulous attention? How are we showing up in moment by moment? And then this was the other discovery we made in the van as we debriefed was like, why do we expect relationships to be easy? and smooth. You know, the first noble truth, the Buddha said, it's all a mess anyway. <laughs> there will be conflict. 
there will be estrangement. There will be separation. So knowing that, allowing that is part of the practice. And then knowing, okay, I'm not going to avoid this conflict. I'm going to go right in with all of the tools that I've learned. And so attention is the beginning of devotion. And I think if we follow this path of reasoning, it's all about relationships. I think in the end, and this is maybe just me, but I think we could say that it's all just about love. How are we loving? How are we learning to love? And how are we practicing that in every action, in every word, in every step in our lives? So that's kind of the end of our notes, my friends. And we do have some time. We did leave some time for you. And we would love to hear from you. This could be in the chat. This could be just unmuting. Happy to just meet you, actually. Um, hear your reflections, your thoughts, anything you disagreed with, uh, what comes up for you in these reflections. Um, really happy to hear from anybody. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, my, my, my thoughts about this are, and I've, I guess I've got a question about this too, actually, that leads to a question as to how it relates to mindfulness is that what, what you've run into was a, a conflict of people who love and care for each other and are being honest about it and are being upfront about it. And there's some admission to guilt or, or, or unintended consequences that are there. And what I would call this is really um, an example of true intimacy. I think that there's a real intimacy that's there between you and your friends and your friends are showing they're there enough to say, damn it, you pissed me off, god damn it. And um yeah. and I don't like it. And but they're staying there. They're not leaving. And so they're they're open. And so yeah, you're you're treading on really soft ground and and but there's an intimacy that's there that that it's a comeback. It's it's like I'm I'm still here for you. I I believe in us. So I've got you know that's my comment about the situation. My question is is how does that relate to mindfulness? Do you think intimacy? I I've I, actually I really haven't heard anything about intimacy related to mindfulness. You know, where does that fit anyway? What do you think? <laughs> Thanks. I love this question. We might each answer it differently. You want to go first, Nico? Oh, no, you first. Oh, well, it's just fun that this is coming up in Eugene's group because he's the one who always quotes Dogen's, right? 
Dogen Sutta that is this, this favorite quote. Some of you might know it. Let's see if I know it. It's from Zen. It's the Genjo Koan. And he says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. So I think you're really touching on something here, Jeff. I think you could reframe it and say intimacy as the Dharma path. And it's right here in, ten, in tenderness, in ten, right? The string that connects. And really what we're doing through our mindfulness is just getting closer and closer and more intimate and more intimate with the truth of things and with reality, right? Re- reality is revealing itself more and more and more through intimacy with how things are. And that is endlessly interesting, right? I love how Eugene talks about this. He says, it's like falling in love. You know, you're so curious and you want to know everything about this person. That's how intimacy can open up into these different layers of of awareness, the nature of awareness, the nature of our minds, the nature of the world. So that's how I would answer. It's a great question. What would you say, Nico? I would say God help anyone who attempts intimacy without mindfulness. (laughs) I really think whether that is Buddhist mindfulness, psychotherapeutic, attending to probably other traditions too, intimacy intimacy requires this ability to, to bring attention and sustain attention on the body, the heart, the mind, and the relational field. So I think it's very much necessary. Mindfulness is necessary. It's also supportive of intimacy. I'm going to say one more thing too, just because this is our favorite topic. And part of this teaching is because our publisher has requested a second book from us about relationships and intimacy. And so we told them, okay, well, we don't know. We're just going to talk about it here for a little bit and see if we have anything to say. But part of, I think, my hesitancy to write a whole book about intimacy and relationships is that it is dangerous, isn't it? I mean, anybody else recoil when you hear the word intimacy? (laughs) It's so complex and we mess up all the time and there's so much potential for harm. Really? So here speaking from our, we have a Vajrayana background too. We study with Mingya Rinpoche and, you know, we do tantric practices. The tantra is all about taking poison and transforming it into wisdom. It's not pushing away the fire. It's not avoiding or bypassing the fire, the complexity, the fear of all that. That one frame for the Dharma path, and I think Dogen, more than anyone, really introduced us to this, invited us to dive right in. Right. If we're really serious about waking up, we cannot avoid. This is another thing. We can't avoid the conflict. We can't avoid it. So intimacy as a practice, I think we need mindfulness. We need skill, meaning to be meticulous and impeccable in our practice. And we need a lot of courage, a lot of fearlessness, because this is not easy. It's really not easy. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Maybe I'll say a little bit about rain. 
since there was a question in the chat about rain. So rain is this practice that's relatively new. It was created by a Dharma teacher named Michelle McDonald, who is a wonderful teacher who lives in Hawaii. And it was an acronym that she introduced for students who were struggling with powerful emotions, which means everyone, I think. And so the acronym, it stands for recognize. Now it's gone through several iterations and I'll talk a little bit about that, but the way we teach it right now is recognize. The step of recognize is that you recognize the situation, what is actually happening right now, nuts and bolts, kitchen sink, not, we have a tendency to proliferate, but what's actually happening? What is actually happening is my beloved friend is mad at me and saying very strongly worded things to me, and I am having a reaction. That's it. Everything else is just story time. So the R is really important because it brings you down to earth, recognize. Then you also, the second step of recognize is what feelings are here. So recognize, oh, hurt, surprise, defensiveness, anger, whatever feelings are here. Those two steps are both under the R, recognize. A stands for allow or accept. And that's just allowing these emotions to rip. A lot of the time we're trying to manage our emotions in some way. And that way they don't actually get a chance to teach us. They don't get a chance to move through. So the second step is you're creating this container in meditation where you're not going to hurt anybody or do anything you regret. And emo the emotion is not going to kill you. Now, there's a whole side conversation about what to do when it's too, too overwhelming. And I can't get into that in a moment, but there's lots of good teachings about that. But assuming it's not too much, assuming it's not unhealthy, really allow you really allow the full expression of the, the physicality of the emotion, the emotionality of the feeling to move through. Take some time, really let that happen. Then the I investigate, you might ask yourself some inquiring questions. This is coming from Tara Brock, but her questions are things like, what's so hard about this? Or what's the most painful thing I'm believing? And not, not intellectual, not cognitive level, but really sometimes I say it's like dropping a pebble into a pond and watching the ripples. It doesn't have to make sense. Whatever comes up through the inquiry is interesting. And then N, this non-identifying is how Michelle teaches it, is like um, you just notice that nobody owns all this. Right? It's not you. It's not me, it's just kind of like, it's just material, just, wow. It's actually magic, it's display. It's all this happening, it's insubstantial. Or if you prefer, it's much more accessible to do nurture, and that's what Tara Brock does, where you put a hand on your heart and you actually offer yourself some kind words or a supportive image. Devin, teach us. Yeah, I know that we're coming to our end, but what I want to say to all of you 
and this is still very alive in process for me, but, you know, we did a sort of non-traditional three-year retreat. And so we were coming in and out and we were sometimes in a cabin in seclusion and silence. Other times we were uh, out a little bit teaching some at the center's but really over these, these past four years of practice, more intensive practice, a lot of our, what we were doing together was rain. <laughs> we did what Nico described very simply. Often we would do it out loud with each other. And I would <laughs> to say coming out, you know, people are asking like, what did you learn in all that retreat time? And I really don't feel like I had those big firework experiences that he was referencing earlier. Like there's no big sort of from the mountaintop you know, bright lights going off. But what's different in this mind with all of that rain and all of this relational practice is there is a deeper sense of attunement that I find. There's more attunement to my body and how it's responding to the situation. And there's more attunement to the mind states of others. So yes, when our friends were mad, we were surprised, but there was such a deep kind of trembling with that intensity And then a real need to like, let's look at this. Let's fix this. Let's do something. Let's pay attention here. It's important. So that's been interesting and it's unfolding in the moment here. But I really find it so interesting to look at what the practices actually do. What does awakening look like? It might not look like the Buddha's awakening. But for this heart and mind, it looks like a relational kind of attunement. That is actually really rewarding. I feel so grateful. I feel more connected to the world. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. We'll dedicate the merit. So we can think that all of our attention, our tending to, our care, our tenderness, that this goodness here, this punya, this merit, might just imagine it rippling out through all of our connections, through all of our relations. Might see like Indra's net and this little ripple heading out across the universe. That everything, everyone we're connected to, nature, the earth, the sky, all beings, may they all benefit from our time together. We offer it. We offer it freely. May all beings be peaceful and may all beings be free. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of kindness for you all. Thank you. Gratitude. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.